This is episode 174, Skyrocket Your Business Growth with Kaz Ants. My name is Tudor Alexander, and this is the Dance of Life podcast. Every week, my goal is to inspire you to take action towards what you love, live a transformed life, and enjoy the journey there. Are you ready? Let's go. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me today on another episode of the Dance of Life podcast. My name is Tudor Alexander, and I am your host. We have an amazing, amazing show today for you. I'm going to start off with a quote by Gary Vee. You probably know who he is. If you want to be an anomaly, you have to act like one. It's a great, great quote for today because we're going to be talking about success, business, the journey of being an entrepreneur, and pretty much everything in between. I have an inspiring guest to share with you today, and that's Kaz Ants. He's the co-founder and CEO of Pearl Lemon Leads, which is a multi-award winning lead generation agency in London. And he bootstrapped this business from his mother's house that led to rapid, rapid growth with many huge clients like Revolut, Vistajet, and even Gartner, which is a huge IT company. He's since gone on to invest in algorithmic trading deep diving into nootropics, entrepreneur performance, online courses, all kinds of exciting stuff. And the best part, he's just only 21. I know that's crazy, right? Four times college dropout, years of depression and contemplating suicide led Kaz to play life with an all or nothing approach. And today we're going to be diving into all of that. We've got such an exciting conversation for you. If you want to follow Kaz or get in touch with him, you can go to kazants.com. That's spelled K-A-S-A-N-D-Z.com or pearllemonleads.com. And you can mention this episode for a free lead generation consultation with his agency. And you can book it with Kaz directly at kazleadgen.youcanbookme or youcanbook.me. All this information is going to be in the blog post for this episode, the show notes, so make sure you check that out on the website, danceoflife.com. You'll be able to access all these links and resources. Today we are talking about skyrocketing your business growth. You know, whether you are an entrepreneur already and you have a business and a team, or you're looking to scale your current solopreneur to a team, or you don't have any of that and you're just wanting to start a business, this is going to be a great episode for you. We're going to talk about Kaz's journey bootstrapping his own business into a successful agency uh, with a remote team of about 15 people, as well as a lot of strategies that you can employ with automating your business through LinkedIn, scaling your business through different uh, platforms, hiring and how to be successful with that, how to weed through all the noise, And what does it mean to be successful? I mean, really, there's a lot of stuff in this conversation. Super, super stoked to share it with you. If you like this episode, if it contributes to you, if you know anybody else that you can contribute to, share it with them. You never know the difference it's going to make. And if you have any big insights from this episode, make sure you let me know too. Tag me on Facebook, Instagram, at Tudor Alexandra Official. Let me know what you get out of this episode. And I'm always curious to hear what made the biggest difference for you. With that, let's go and check out Kazans and talk about skyrocketing your business growth to the next level. Here we go.
What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me. We are back in action with my awesome guest, Kaz Hans. Is that, that pronounced that right? Kaz? Uh, we'll Kaz? It's Kaz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spot on, dude. Kaz. Dang it. What's, the, what's Kaz short for? Is that, is that the uh, full name? No, no, no. So it's shortened for Christopas, which is from uh, nice. Lithuania and Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you born in Lithuania? <laughs> yeah, I was actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It's hard to tell by the accent because I sound very kind of, you know, biscuits and tea kind of person. But, <laughs> but no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very proper, yeah. Yeah, yeah, born in, uh, in the sovereign states. But yeah, dude, where are you from actually originally? I was actually born in Romania. Uh, I was, uh, we were refugees. I live in the United States now, obviously, but uh, we were refugees in 1990. So basically when the whole Berlin Wall fell and, you know, like there was a lot of revolutions in all the communist countries, yeah, Romania yeah, was yeah. a communist country and we uh, immigrated. I mean, we, we were refugees. So moved to Arizona and then lived there ever since. <laughs> That's really sick, dude. I mean, and, and uh, did you come over when you were a child or? Yeah, was I, was, I was five years old, 35 ah, at, at the time of this interview right now, I'm 35. That's so cool, dude. I mean, I was the same. I came over and I was literally four and a half, five as well. So, uh, kind of neighbors as well. So it kind of panned out the same. And now we, uh, we crossed Yeah, paths. I've always actually wanted to go to Lithuania. I have a, I have a, one of my clients is from Lithuania and she went recently. She was actually, she's in her eighties now, but she hadn't wow. been since she was like a little girl. So it was a huge deal for her to go there. It's a beautiful yeah. country, uh, but it's a small country, right? Like it's pretty, pretty small. Yeah, yeah, the population is only like 4 million. It's actually quite tiny wow. in retrospect. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost the same population as like the city of London, mm. which is, when you put that into perspective, it's insane. And you live but, in uh, London right now, right? Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> I live in the, in the city as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, dude, I'll tell you what, when I was 21, I certainly wasn't bootstrapping my own business and doing all this <laughs> inspiring stuff that you're doing. <laughs> I'm excited. This is great. Like I had to look up, you know, your, um, you said that you were doing business with companies like Gartner. I was like, what is that? You know? So I looked up, it's like a billion dollar company. That's, that's insane that you guys yeah, have had some interact. Like, tell me more about that. that. That's awesome. Absolutely. I think to be honest with you, I think there's kind of two ways that we did it. Um, the first one is the typical spiel of, you know, content just blast out like no tomorrow. And I guess the keyword that kind of helped us pivot into producing better levels of content was document, right? So don't try and make the perfect video, the perfect background, perfect sound quality, perfect editing, all that bollocks. Just because make it real. Exactly, exactly. Just get your phone out. And if you actually look at like my videos on YouTube, it's literally me walking outside Costa Coffee <laughs> with my fucking phone out, but just talking like actual kind of value-led stuff, right? It's, and so that was the biggest thing for us. It was focusing the document kind of keyword approach rather than trying to get everything perfect. Um, and that kind of follows one of the mantras that, that I kind of learned from my business partner, who is uh, Deepak. Um, he's a TEDx speaker, Ironman, like 33 marathons down. That's he's awesome. Insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how old is he? He's uh, 33. 33, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a bit of a gap between us, actually, funny enough. Um, That's good, though. Yeah, dude, That's good. He's... he's um, we, we, we have a good synergy because he's very creative and he's kind of always darting different ideas around. Whereas I go deep, but narrow. Gotcha. And because of, I guess his mindset, he always implements the mindset of, because he doesn't go too deep. It's the MVP mindset. So no matter what you're doing, treat as an MVP, right? Um, an example of this would be, for example, if, if we're both trying to launch, I don't know, like a, 
um, I don't know, a marketing agency or even a campaign for a client. If we both have a month to kind of complete that deadline and one person goes for the perfection route, whereas then Deepak, let's say, goes for the MVP route, he will do in one week what the other person will do in four weeks, but shit. But then here's the catch. After that first week, he would have fucked up so much and learned so much that by week two and then week three, he would have crushed the person who's going for perfectionism because he would learn what the other person wouldn't know yet. You don't know what you don't know. And yeah, it's true. That's why it's, yeah, dude, it's, we were just talking about analysis paralysis off the air. (laughs) It's so funny because it's like, I mean, I can relate. I I, I find myself kind of wavering in both worlds. Like I I can be a perfectionist if I need to be. And then I can also think big, big picture. So it's, it's a constant balance. I think you have to, you have to be able to do both in any successful business. And especially if you want to take something to the next level, you got to be able to do both or have, you know, multiple people to create both of those aspects in any approach. But it's like, it's so easy to get trapped in one or the other. Right. Mm. I mean, even perfectionism or big picture thinking, anything taken to the extreme, uh, it's so easy to get sidetracked and just stay in that world right. and not like, okay, we need to tighten it up or, hey, we need to think a little bigger here. Let's expand. Um, exactly. Exactly. It's like tunnel vision almost. And yeah, yeah, it's really interesting though, because sometimes it can be good to be kind of trapped in that, right? In the sense that if you've got this really big project, it might actually be useful to go into monk mode almost, right? Just cut off from the world mm. and have a hundred percent focus on what it is that you're doing. Um, it might be a massive kind of, you know, push for self-development. Maybe you want to read like 20 books in two weeks. It's insane, but it's doable. Do you find that you do that a lot? Like, is that your, like you, are you more of a, like a consistent type of, Hey, I'm just going to try to read an audio book every month or whatever. Or are you the type that you work in spurts? Like, okay, I'm just going to do like a crazy amount of stuff in a short period of time and then break. How is your approach to business and I guess life in general? Like what do you, how do you do things? Absolutely. So it's, it's, as you said earlier, it's a balance. It's a bit of both. I mean, but it's very contextual, right? So for example, if we've got like 10 marketing campaigns running using the context of that, if all of them go down as a massive amount of pressure, I am going to delete every app that distracts me. I'm going to go, <laughs> right? I'm not going to exist. Yeah. I have to be off the grid. So fucking ordering takeaways all the time, maybe stock up on like 20 bags of rice and potatoes, like whatever it may be. Right. But it's like all in. But then of course you have other days where you need to mix it up and you can kind of block time like that. So something that I'm doing at the moment is um, I just block out three hours every Saturday lunchtime to just gotcha. knock out two free Udemy courses. Um, and then all just for yourself, like personal development, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. But I actually share them with the team. So whatever course I'm doing, for example, I've got um, the chief of operations, Bogdan. He's actually also from Romania. and he lives I, I saw that. I'm like, that's a Romanian name. I know that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a, he's a real legend and me and him kind of almost help, um, help each other grow in the sense that cause he's two hours ahead. He'll call me at 6am my time every morning to get me the fuck out of bed. Cause I struggle gotcha. with that. <laughs> but then also we do things like we with Udemy courses. We'll both agree to do one for that Saturday. So he's like then, your accountability partner for those basically. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it kind of, uh, it mixes and matches. Um, one interesting point, I guess, um, when you earlier said that, you know, everyone's kind of different and sometimes you might want to go deep on one thing. Some people might want to kind of spread out and balance it. Um, one really interesting thing I learned very recently from a book was the book was principles by Ray Dalios. Have you oh yeah. 
He has a video series that goes with that too. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's a great. That's a great book. Yeah. And yeah, dude. And one of the points in that, which is quite interesting, is that within their organization, they had baseball cards almost for every single type of person. So based on their psychology or their skill set, they would then build teams based upon that, right? Mm. And that's how they would kind of really drive creativity per group, drive kind of achievement because they get the most synergizing kind of personalities and put them together. And that, that's, I think that's one, one of the insane ways of thinking outside. The it's world. really about, yeah. I mean, creating a team, I think you really opened up a great topic about as far as business growth. It's like, if you want to scale, I mean, there's so much that we can talk about scaling with automation, with the right marketing and all that stuff. But one of the biggest things is having a team you can trust and the team that really synergizes, like you just said, right? Mm-hmm. Like building a team. What, is, what has been some key components in your experience? Like how big is your team for your company that you guys are working right now? How many people? you um, Within the Legion agency, it's around uh, 14, 15 people. Oh, wow. Uh, That's pretty significant, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you manage all those people or how? what's the relationship? Yeah, yeah. So I work directly with everyone, um, but I'm slowly building uh, kind of like a department managers, right? So, mm-hmm. in, for example, Bogdan is the chief of operations. Then we gotcha. have um, Rayhan, who's done software engineering for literally over decades, and he's insane as well. He's the head of tech and email, um, so he'll handle servers and stuff. And I guess... It's difficult to say how to function a business in terms of team, right? For example, if you have hierarchies and heads of department, of course, as the business owner, you have to do less communication between them. If they're trained well, then they can kind of handle that as well as if they've got the skill set. But then you lose speed, right? Because if I say we've got person A who's the head of, I don't know, email and person B who's then their assistant, if their assistant needs to do something and I need to relay that, it has to go from one person to another and then from person A to person B. So not only does it slow it down, but it creates room for error. So yeah. That's why the telephone it, effect. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's why I guess it's, it's really important to, regardless of business size, to really spend time with everyone um, and have that kind of personal communication along with the team component. Um, do you have like weekly meetings that you do? Like how do you, how do you structure meetings? Are they like weekly zoom calls daily? Like how do you do it? Yeah, dude. So, with the weekly piece, um, it's, it's, it's normally, we'll do one weekly call with the whole team and it begins by us talking about what we did last week and achievements and also kind of praising people. It's really, really important to praise team members in front of everyone. Gotcha. How you kind of start a positive culture almost. You need to, if there's any improvements that they need to make, it's personal one-to-one chats. But if it's positive things, even in like our Slack group chat, I every week kind of congratulate every person that's achieved something really good. Mm-hmm. For example, like um, Jack, our communications manager, who's funny enough based in Nairobi in Kenya, he uh, he managed to book meetings of Oracle, Twitter, Bentley. Like he's really, really good at what he does. Wow. And in those cases, it's a no-brainer. I absolutely want to congratulate him. because Absolutely. Not only is he kind of helping the client, but then also helping us grow. But then more importantly he's helping himself grow because um, every role that I have of an agency has a success kind of um, performance piece attached to it. Um, the biggest reason why I ever left the, cause I had a corporate job before in, in a massive cake company. And the only reason I ever left was the glass ceiling effect where yeah. you can't really keep progressing. 
And when I realized how much I hated that, and that was one of my biggest motivations to leave, I realized that I want to kind of try and do the opposite of that, which is no matter what role you're in with an agency, if we have more clients or if you're achieving more things, you're going to get extra on top of whatever the salary is, just purely like commission added no matter what. Um, and I almost, I guess, uniquely as well, I, I, for everyone that does really well, I'll give them a bonus every month if they crush it. There's a quote that's coming to my mind about from Richard Branson. I just literally read this yesterday. I think I was like scrolling through Facebook and saw, but it's so appropriate for this, which is train the people around you so well enough to leave. I'm kind of butchering it, but it's like train the people around you so well that they can leave, but treat them well enough that they would stay. Mm. So you want to, you want to give, like you're, like you said, like give them as much opportunity as possible to grow and, and succeed to the point like that they could just leave, but then treat them so well that they wouldn't want to in the sense that the company culture, uh, you know, like the, the acknowledgements, I love that, like acknowledging people publicly, but then if it's something you need to work on, it's one-on-one so that it's not, uh, you know, like you're not calling people out in public. Like, God, it's so funny. I remember I've worked so, that's such a big deal because I used to work for a company back before I was self-employed as well. And like, I, that was one thing I couldn't stand is like being singled out for my, you know, we have these weekly performance meetings and like, that was the worst. Like the, the guy would like single us out if we didn't perform. And it's like, mm-hmm. that really shoots your confidence down as yeah. an employee. I'm like, man, you know, like this is not, that doesn't motivate me to like go sell, you know, go make some more sales this week. So. Yeah, 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 dude. It's, it's not a positive culture and, but I guess it's it's a, it's an after effect of, I guess, more traditional ways of starting businesses and corporations from like a hundred years back. And as they kind of got so big, they lost traditions and cultures as it funneled down. So it, it just became like a binary thing. You're, you're just a number, right? You either one or zero. Yeah, too much in the middle. There's too much right. in the middle. How do you how do you maintain company culture? I mean, obviously, size is a huge impact, but. Like in the in this day and age, especially like I'm just amazed to this day with all the technology we have. Like literally on your phone, you can do everything. Like you can manage an entire agency from your phone if you wanted to. Yeah. And it's like in that day and age when you have your CFO from whatever Romania or this guy from Nigeria, like your team is literally all over the world. Mm. How do you how do you maintain that company culture? Because if you have a physical location. In some sense, it's a lot easier because you have a space and you, you know, the physical space can create the culture or it can help to. I mean, it doesn't necessarily do that, but it helps you do that if you're attentive to it. Uh, but in the day and age where there is no physical space, how do you maintain that co- company culture? Because that's really important for keeping that sustainability and, and allowing people to grow with you. So you're not constantly turning over and investing in new people and training them and onboarding them and that kind of stuff. So how do you do that? How do you maintain that company culture? I think uh, I would probably say that the best way to do it as a first step would be to treat every team member, every family member almost as, because uh, we call you our team members kind of family members. We're like, hey, bro, and whatnot like that. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is to treat them as if they're clients almost, right? Mm. You, I'm going to steal this from Gary Vee, and it's a matter of they're not working for you. You're working for them. Mm. when you change that kind of mindset not only are they going to then support you and each other more but then also they're going to want to work quite as hard and that's going to bring them more results as well financially because of the 
them. Your employees are your first clients, pretty much. Exactly, exactly. Hmm. Um, you always have to make sure they're happy and that like, you're kind of supporting them in every way because hmm. they are the people behind everything that achieve, the business achieves, right? It's, it's, it's the whole family and it's a whole pack, it's a whole squad. So you kind of have to follow that, that mantra and yeah, do treat them as clients. Make sure they're happy, make sure they're fed. Um, and even when they've got like personal issues, like, you have to make sure you're there for them. So don't treat, when you have a remote team, it's important to be professional, but I've been told off by many people, including Deepak, that I'm very informal. Hmm. Like when we have our meetings, our weekly meetings, um, at the beginning when it was just guys, you're going to laugh at this, but we right. was, as, a, as a joke, we just pull out our nipples or some shit on the camera, just like <laughs> take the piss or we'll just talk about like Eminem or do you know what I mean? It's right. Something to loosen it up a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. We, we always kind of have that banter, that laughter. And you still um, do that now? Yeah. Well, the nipples have to go because uh, it's a more diverse team now, but right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Respect someone, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, dude, I mean, that, that's really important to have that loosened up culture that, that just that really, you know what? I'll put it into one word and it's just comfort. Like mm. everyone in the team needs to feel comfortable. Trust. With yeah. Ultimately it's about building that trust, right? Between each mm. other so that you feel comfortable around. I mean, you know, the whole point of, vulnerability and opening up and working as a team. I think that there is some, although this is interesting. I mean, this kind of opens up another question because I've been in a lot of situations where let's say I, I was an employee. In fact, the last mm-hmm. company that I just mentioned where, where the, where we had those performance evaluations in public and stuff uh, where the lines between friendship and professionality were blurred where the owner in this case was very much a like elbow in the rib. Hey, what's up? How was your weekend? Did you get some, you know, like all this kind of stuff, you know, and, you know, to kind of lighten the mood. But then there was also like times when you'd get evaluated and you'd, you know, get put on your toes and it was, it was an unhealthy environment. So the, in general, the, the guy, I don't feel really ran it the best way, but my point is I've been in a lot of situations where, the line between professional slash, hey, I'm an employee versus, hey, I'm a friend was very blurred. So when it comes to, let's say, business results or failures or you don't meet your deadline, this kind of stuff, how, how do you balance that? How do you balance the, the line between? Because I hear you on, the, on wanting to have that comfort and that trust and that, like, hey, like, let's lighten up a little bit. This is, a, this is not just like about results. We're, we're growing together. We're a you know, quote unquote family, whatever else. But then how do you balance that with professionalism? How do you particularly balance that in your company? That's a really good question, Tudor. Um, I think I would almost reference it back to, to where we spoke about having that performance piece, right? So I frame it as you're doing this for yourself, not for me, hmm. because there's no glass ceiling. And so they're in their own right motivated to kind of go out there and get some, to go and work hard. Because if they don't, then they're only going to have that feeling of regret that, hey, I could have done better. Um, I, I think it's when you put someone in a position to succeed, they then put it into their own hands whether they want to succeed. Hmm. And if they don't, then they're just not a great fit for the, for the agency. Um, but then if they are, then there's somebody who's going to stick around forever because there's no limit to the growth, right? Hmm. I mean, we've got... We've got um, 
<clears throat> for example, our sales team is commission only. They're only going to get as much as they want to close, right? Gotcha. We give them everything to all the resources, all the tools, all the subscriptions, all the leads. Like we get a shit ton of inbound leads because we do SEO and they get everything handed, them, handed to them on a plate. Got it. The only difference between whether they're going to succeed or not is them, not us. Mm. We've done everything we can. And so when you put people in a position where they are 100% in control of their success, mm. then it motivates themselves to work harder because when they achieve something, they don't think, hey, I did it for you know, the agency. I did it for myself. Yeah, there's no like weekly paycheck they're shooting for in a sense, I guess. It's more based on the amount of effort they put in exactly. uh, and the amount of, I guess, the communal results they help to create through the company. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And... But that's only the sales guys. Everyone else obviously has a salary. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, are the people who are on salary, are they, I mean, obviously with sales, you have to do that. I think, especially with sales, if it's commission straight, then, you know, that's, that makes sense. But how do you handle that? Because I like what you just said, you know, when you put people in the position to succeed and you give them the control over that choice, then, you know, you're really creating an atmosphere for the people who are a good fit and the people who aren't. Because exactly. if your attitude is very much, let's take accountability, let's go for it, then that kind of space is going to attract people who, like, like you said, it, it makes it a two-way street. Either you're going to go for it and succeed or you're not because it's completely based on you. But now, how do you, how do you balance that with somebody who's on a salary? Because so, in that case, you have to pay them regularly. So is there an effort-based situation there too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So for example, with the communications team, every appointment that they book, they get a bonus on top of that. And these guys book easily 50 to 100 appointments a month. Gotcha. Um, each. So this racks up very, very quickly. Um, there's other, I guess, pieces around that, which is if you also look at the fact that, um, well, when it comes to hiring a team, I think the biggest issue people can have is English, right? If, if you're speaking to somebody in, let's say, um, like Bogdan, right? His English ad rate is 8 out of 10. But I know so many employers that would speak to him and think, you know what? I am not 100% happy the fact that you're not 100% native. I won't hire you. Mm-hmm. And so you lose out on so much talent. Like language should not be a barrier. Like, mm-hmm. Some people could have actually, and this is, this is the case, like with, with um, for example, people that support, let's say, uh, Rayhan, right, who's in Pakistan. His assistants that spoke zero English. Wow. He didn't need to because he had the mindset and the skill set and he only needed to communicate with Rayhan himself. So... He was, again, he was given an opportunity where he's paid a lot more than what anything else in his country would give him, which naturally motivates him, along with a bonus thing on top of that, which then motivates him even further. And then he's got given the freedom to work a remote job where you can work with somebody who you, you natively speak their language mm-hmm. um, and you're working towards a bigger goal. Like, we have a massive key emphasis from the team. Um, and and that, all of that revolves around in the same kind of concept that I've spoke about where if you put someone in a position to succeed and you create that atmosphere, it's only going to then create the divide with people who do want to succeed and people who don't. Hmm. And the ones who don't, well, it, it's quite clear if they're, if they're not really doing anything, any good work, then they're just not a great fit, hmm. right? Um, which is really, it's really important that as, even though you should be really emotional with your team and so you can have a good level of empathy and you kind of just build that good relationship, it's also important that when you think about it in business terms, you're completely unemotional. Yeah, you want to think purely on logic in the sense that, yeah, I might like this guy, but if he's doing dog shit work, then is it really, it's not a good fit. And 
it's tough um, as somebody who, you know, who even if you're self-employed or if you work within a company or you're a manager or you own a company, in all those cases, you really, really do have to sometimes remove the personal aspect. Have you uh, had recently any situation? I mean, how long have you been, uh, how long have you been doing this Pearl, Pearl Lemon Leads, right? That's the agency. Yeah, how, long you, how long have you been doing that? Uh, so it started in, let's say, February. Now we're in November, so it's like nine months. Wow, time. really? That, that fast? That's crazy. Have you had in the last nine months, I mean, it's obviously this is kind of a relatively new deal. I mean, it's not even a year yet, but have you had to let go or be like, hey, this is not a fit right now, uh, that kind of situation? Have you had somebody in your team or has it been like, hey, pretty much so far everybody that's on the team is like in line with the vision, uh, in line with oh. the values? No. I'd be bullshitting you if I told you that is the case. Hmm. Um, it's all over the spectrum. I'll be honest. We've had people in, in, in a country. Um, there's one guy in actually from, he's a Yank who moved to Indonesia and he wanted a hundred grand a year to work only a few hours a week. Wow. I'll take you, that job. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mate, if I had that job, I would do that any day of the week. But it's, yeah. it's, so no, I'd be lying to you if I said that, yeah, it was like that. If I'm yeah. to put it into perspective, right now the team's, let's say, at around 15. Yeah. We've in total probably lost um, 120 people or so. Wow. Like it's, 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 again, I took advice from Gary Vee because he, he's one of the first people that I listened to when I was mm -hmm. in a rough point in my life. He was very, he taught me a lot in terms of mindset and the mindset then, kind of bleed it out to all the different mindset is first man it's everything agreed. agreed and he i think it was him that always said that you know hire fast but fire faster where mm. if somebody's toxic to the environment toxic to the culture it's not worth having them in there regardless of result if you're toxic it's just going to crumble everything down and the negative effect they have on everyone else just completely destroys the culture so I've always followed that and thought, you know what? I'll give everyone a fair chance. They get a week, two weeks, three weeks, wherever it is. But if I see that they're a toxic or they just don't want to work or um, with us being in a remote agency, obviously there's issues of you don't know when someone's online unless they say they're online. And I, in my whole agency, not a single person has to report to me in the morning because I trust them. It's trust. Yeah. And you can see if they're not working or they are. And that trust works well for me because somebody, instead of just disappearing for two hours to go make lunch, they say to me, hey, Cass, I'm not going to be around for two hours. I'm going to go. Yeah, they communicate. They're open. Exactly. Um, and all these different things, like communication especially, you kind of get a good hint of everyone um, after one, two weeks. Communication is the biggest red flag, right? Yeah. If something comfortably disappear for two, three, 12, 14 days, you know that you can't trust them to not do that again. Mm -hmm. And... So you have to employ a, a very open communication kind of just approach. Um, yeah. So you've been doing this for nine months and you're 21. I'm trying to think what I was doing when I was 21. I was fresh out of college, I think. I had my first job. That's crazy, man. So, I mean, what – like technically, most people your age are doing the traditional route, although – I think education is becoming increasingly destabilized with all the new opportunities we have with self-education, this particular generation and the generations in the future. I don't, I don't see school being around much longer, to be honest with you. I think in the next 10 years, 
people are going to be entrepreneurs by the time they're 16, 17, like you're going to have such a different economy. Mm -hmm. But in your case, I'm really curious, like what, why did the traditional route not work for you? I mean, traditional quote unquote being go to college, spend Mm -hmm. a ton of money doing that, you know, graduate with some BS degree and then, you know, try to get a job (laughs) somewhere. Like what, (laughs) what motivates you to do what you do? Like when, when did it click for you? Let's put it that way. Cause you said you had a rough patch in your life. Maybe you can talk about that. Yeah. Um, when did it click for you? So fun fact, I'm a full-time dropout. Um, I kept, the reason I kept kind of joining is I wanted to make my parents happy and they grew up in my mom specifically, even she grew up in Soviet kind of economy and place where it's very military. The school is very military. It's yeah. like you go at 8am, you leave at 6pm homework every night. If you're fucking around, slap on the hand or whatever yeah. is worse back then, as you know, yeah. um, especially in the Soviet area. And because she's come from that background, they're very strict on me also following that route. And every time I joined, I can even give you a breakdown. So I did the first year I was doing AS levels, which is you do like four subjects, which then specialize. And that was sociology, media, um, graphing and art design and business studies. And I did that year, but that whole year I was depressed because I had a very terrible relationship with my parents. Um, I had no friends. I was always bullied. Nothing really worked for me. And my, because of that, my attendance was only like 40% for the whole year. So I missed more than half of the whole year. And I then kind of just didn't turn up. I did my exams. I passed some things, but I just didn't turn up for that year. And then my mom kind of pushed me to then just try again and do business. So I joined this really bad college, which I'm not going to (laughs) name. Um, but it got to the point where the teacher didn't know what the fuck they were doing in the sense that our lessons would consist of them opening a PowerPoint presentation, reading off it as if we can't read. Right. And then if we ask a question, they didn't have an answer. So after yeah, two months, didn't, they didn't care at all about really your progress. Exactly. They just need to get through it. <laughs> and yeah, dude, that just demotivated me more. I was like, fuck this, mm-hmm. there's no point. So I left and to be honest, all the partying that people would do in uni, I guess I kind of did early in those years that I was fucking around. Mm. Um, so I spent that rest of the year fucking around. And then I then went to Barking and Dagenham College. And it was a good start. And then depression kicked again for the third time at that point. Um, and I ended up dipping again. And, and that, throughout that year, my attendance actually hit even lower. It was only like 30%. Why did, why did your depression kick back in? Um, it's still just no friends, no relationship. Mm. Um, I actually did see uh, a counselor in, in that college to, to see what they would said. And they said, after kind of speaking to me about 30 minutes, their thoughts on that were that I have an issue with the attachment theory, which is I've never met my real dad and my relationship with my mom was terrible. I didn't oh, have Oh, gotcha. So I had nobody to ever speak to, no attachments, no friends. Like I was missing the whole social aspect of my life. And arguably missing the love aspect, right? Yeah. And so I just felt very empty. I didn't see a reason to keep going. Um, That was the year that it hit me the worst, where I remember I wasn't turning up and I got into very bad groups of people because Barking Dagenham is the worst place in the whole UK to live in. Like the day I moved out, someone got killed on my own street, which is really bad. Um, but because I got around the wrong groups of people, I kind of started to do things because I had some sort of friends, but they were the wrong groups because it was all crime related. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't want to be involved with those people. And 
I had the right mindset kind of, but just the wrong people. And it just kept going downhill and downhill to a point where then I remember I reached the point in my life where my mum then kicked me out. So I didn't have no skills, no money, no qualifications, no parents to speak to, no home. I effectively had nothing. So and you were now, homeless pretty much. Yeah. Literally. Wow. I ended up going to live with um, uh, a family friend for, for a few months. Um, and I remember... It's crazy, dude. I remember the first day that, that, that I, uh, I left, I, uh, I didn't even have money. So I had to ask my friend to borrow 10 pounds. And I'm not sure what, what it's called in the States, but here we call it kind of own brand food, which is like the cheapest, cheapest food you can buy. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not even a brand. It's the actual store. Like generic, it's, right? Yeah. It would be like Walmart cookies or something. Right. You know? <laughs> And, sounds, sounds delicious. <laughs> and uh, I had nothing, so I bought a 10 kilo bag of rice, own wow. brand, which is only literally like nine pounds to right. survive me the next few months. And I couldn't afford the bus, so I had to carry that on my back for 35 minutes. Oh my God. <laughs> um, it was crazy. It was crazy. But I'm super grateful for those times. I'm amazingly grateful for those times because it's, yeah. it's I guess from all of that, I kind of made a saying to myself, which is, Perseverance in pain breeds a beast in your brain. And all the different war wounds, like the battle wounds, the, the different scars that you build up, the emotional scars, physical, whatever it may be, they come to make you a lot stronger as a person because you can compare that level of pain and suffering to what you do now. And it's like, wow, if I could go through all the shit I went through then and feel that bad, I have, I'm a pussy if I can't go through today and work 18 hours, 20 hours, like it's nothing. I'm a pussy. Yeah, this is way easier than carrying a bag of rice for miles, <laughs> not having exactly. a place to live. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's like when you have that perspective, that view, everything just seems like a, a walk in a park, dude. Like mm. it's, it's insane. And when, what motivated you to start this company? So like basically, okay, so you were pretty much homeless for a little while. And then how, how did you go from that to now? Like that yeah. was all, what was that transition like? So over that span, that was probably my most life changing period. Those two months where I didn't have a home. Um, because then I was just by myself. So I had to learn how to cook. I believe me, pasta and rice for three months is not a fucking good diet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you can't even get a sauce. So it's just like ketchup. Oh, it's disgusting. I don't want to think about it now. Yeah, um, just random condiments <laughs> with starch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so that kind of, I, it, it all kind of funnels back down to the worst day of my life, which is I was, I was, I remember I wasn't even leaving my room for days and there was just one night that I went to sleep feeling really shit. And I had a lucid nightmare, which is where you actually believe you're in the nightmare without realizing you're sleeping. Mm. But then also at the same time I had sleep paralysis. So I was, Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. I was acutely aware that I was asleep, but I couldn't wake up no matter what. And so I was almost living the nightmare. And in that nightmare, what was happening is that it started with me falling forever and then slowly watching my whole family just bleed to death on myself. It's really dark. Jeez. Really wow. Um, and I remember just crying my eyes out, like for real. And I, I don't know, like I was just crying and sobbing and almost, almost screaming. It was painful as fuck. And I just remember waking up 
just like tears and snot down my face, which is hard to admit, of course. Um, but we'll put ego aside for a minute. Hey, it's all good, man. I mean, that's, I think that shows strength, anything, you know, especially in this day and age, we're all, especially as guys, we're all afraid of like having weaknesses. But, you know, I think if you can, if you can come to the point where it's like, right, you know, like I'm, I'm okay with crying at this. Like, it's fine. I'm not made of steel. I think that shows strength if anything. So. Agreed. Agreed. And yeah, dude, it was, it was fucked up. Um, so I, that motivated you. How did you start your company? Like that was, that was your rock bottom. Like you had that dream. Like, what am I doing with my life? Like, how yeah. did you go from that to having a team of 15 people working with all these big companies? Like that to me is crazy. It's a short, it's a relatively short period of time, right? Like what, how old yeah. were you when you had this dream? Like when so that was started? only two and a half years ago, three years ago, something like that. Okay. Um, so but that, that, that particular dream was a turning point because mm. as I had woken up, I realized that life is very depressing because there's no purpose. When you consider the fact that every morning you wake up and it's like pain and you eat breakfast, you follow the same shit, you have breakfast, you go to work, you come home from work, you eat again, you fucking watch TV and you back to bed again. It's so depressing having no purpose. It's like, what is the point of life? And it was at that exact point, I was laying on the corridor like 4 a.m., scared to fucking sleep ever again, thinking there is no point to me taking my next breath unless I beat this. Mm. There's no point to me living. And that's where kind of suicide and all that started to play around as well. And there was just no point unless I go for the top, unless I go absolutely all out ham, like there's no tomorrow, there's no point to life. Mm. And that was the beginning point, the turning point um, of everything. So at, after that, it was literally a few weeks of just pure recovery. Like I just didn't want to do anything still, but I was slowly kind of changing my mindset. Mm. Okay, look, well, let me start by first of all, like, let me just like, obviously, you know, do the usual, like cook for myself three times a day. So I'm just starving, like just at the basic. Stabilize. Basic. Yeah. Get some routine going. Exactly. Exactly. Like mm. a framework. And from that, it started branching out to, okay, I'm going to start watching Gary Vee on YouTube. I'm going to start listening to podcasts because it's free. It doesn't require investment. Mm. I can kind of just learn things. And that led me to then get counseling by a really, really good therapist who does neuro-linguistic programming. And oh, yeah. Um, and that was really interesting stuff. It made me dive into deep, dark points in my mind to really understand them. So it was like, okay, why do I hate my mom so much? Why have I hated all these years? Well, it's obviously I've got things that I don't like about her and maybe relationship issues, but then what have I done to fix these? Or have I just been a child as, as I was a child mm-hmm. and just fucking blamed her instead of doing anything about it? Yeah, just a victim. Exactly, exactly. And then after these different kind of realizations, like, okay, well, I'm going to rebuild my, my relationship with my parents. I'm going to try and start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I just started talking to the beginning. I started kind of rebuilding, rebuilding at baby steps that, that relationship. And after a few months, I moved back in with them, which coincidentally happened for them to then move completely out of the city. And that was when that person died down my street. It was in that area. Oh, wow. Background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was crazy. And then I was like, okay, so I'm going to give everything one more shot. This is where number four now, I've got a full-time dropout. Number four is coming up. I, uh, I go to the local college in the new area that they move into. I was like, okay, I want to do an apprenticeship. So it's not just me sitting and trying to learn because clearly it's not worked. I want to do something that requires me to do action as well as that. Yeah, and something I, a deeper dive this time. 
exactly. That's what I'm doing. And so I did engineering, which was, it was kind of boring. I'm not going to lie to you. It was quite, it wasn't for me. Um, engineering is hard work. It's, I mean, yeah. it's a real commitment. You have to really dive into that. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Um, but yeah, dude, it was, I got the short end of the stick because what the, the apprenticeship thing meant is that I go to college one day to study, but it's four days to work. And I went to work in a factory. So I was doing just brainless things. Mm. But that's because I had that whole mindset from a few months back. I was like, okay, I've got to do something. I've got to make use of this time. As I learned from Earl Nightingale, um, don't think about what you can't do. Focus on what you can do. And Success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Earl, exactly. Earl Nightingale. I love that talk that he has. Such a good, such a good figure. I think that's fantastic. Um, and yeah, so I then proceeded to just like do 16 to 18 hours a day of podcasts and audiobooks. So I read The Secret. Do you know The Secret by any chance? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's they have cool. another book too. I, I forget. It's like, uh, I forget what the follow-up book to that is. But yeah, I've read The Secret. Follow-up. Um, it was I'll another book. It was another, yeah, it was like yeah, a yeah. second book, but I forget what it's called now. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And it's a really, really good book. I think a lot of people take it a little too literally in the sense that, oh, if I'm going to think I'm going to get a lamp, I'm going to get a lamp. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let me visualize this Lamborghini. It's going to show up <laughs> at my doorstep. How do, you, how do you apply the secret in your life? So it's a, it's a mindset thing, I think, again. Um, it's not just a matter of having that worthy ideal and kind of visualizing and all the different pieces around that, but it's about action in a sense that, okay, so if I want this Lamborghini, what are the steps to do this? How can I kind of, well, in fact, the biggest thing that I learned from that book was uh, just positivity. If you're positive mm-hmm. on the inside, you're positive on the outside. If you're positive mm-hmm. on the outside, it bounces back because then you make good friends, you kind of share positive relationships it becomes this endless cycle of just happy. Hmm. And that was the biggest thing I'd say for me personally. Um, what about you? Well, how would you say you use the, the secret? That's a good question. You know, I mean, for me, it's just, uh, especially recently, I would say gratitude practice has been kind of to bounce off what you said with positivity. I mean, it's the same thing. I just call it gratitude. But uh, every day, you know, I've been trying to, really have periodic times during the day where I continually check into gratitude. So in the morning, lately my sleep has been jacked because I have had a lot of stress. So like, it's just been, I'm a little off my routine lately, but in the morning, ideally I do a gratitude routine and you know, that, that takes about 20 minutes, but just gets me present to what I'm grateful for being, you know, here being alive, three things that I'm grateful for visualizing certain things. And then throughout the day, I'll try to take at least one break in the day where I'm like just five minutes of maybe going outside, walking, riding my bike, just to kind of stop the momentum of my mind. Cause I'm like you, like I'm, I tend to like, when I'm on something, I just go boom. I just focus <laughs> deep dive in and I'm just like tunnel vision and that's good. But at the same time, if you're not able to check out of that, uh, you can let your mind run away on you fast and you can burn out. And that's kind of what I'm experiencing recently. But uh, throughout the day also when I eat, I've been trying to get into uh, like a little mini prayer before I eat. Like, hey, thank you, Lord, for giving me this food. And I visualize all the people in the world that are starving, you know, because fasting is a big part of my like daily routine. I do intermittent fasting. I also try to fast throughout the year at different times. So that practice 
kind of on a tangent has helped me connect to, wow, like how many people deal with hunger every day. So every time when I eat, that also brings me back into kind of slowing down, being grateful for the food I have at night. I also do a, like a meditation before I sleep to be grateful for the three things that happened that day. What am I excited for coming up tomorrow or maybe the next in the next week. So throughout the day, I'm trying to rein my mind in uh, constantly with, with that gratitude because um, you know, it's funny. I, I saw a recent talk by Joe Dispenza. I don't know if you know who that is. Dr. Joe Dispenza. Yeah. Same thing, motivational kind of secret kind of guy. I think actually he might be in the secret. I don't, I'm not sure, but he might be in the secret. But regardless, he talks about how this is a very interesting point that relates to all this, which is psychologically, when you say thank you and like you kind of really are grateful for something, you have been conditioned to say thank you when you receive something. Like from little kids, like when, when we receive something, like we've been conditioned to say thank you in response to that. So when you say thank you for something that you haven't received yet, you're attuning your mind to that vibration and it's creating that reality in your mind in the sense that you've already received it. So there's a very powerful effect to like being grateful for like, thank you God for all the opportunities or, you know, whatever I say, God, you know, you know, you can say whatever universe, whatever floats your boat, but thank you for all the opportunities that are coming my way for all the clients, for all the money that I've got, you know, all the abundance for all the health that I have. And you just get in tune with that. So um, yeah, the gratitude part has been a big part of kind of my uh, approach to the, the secret the the vibrating with what you want right so yeah that's been huge man because otherwise your mind just runs away on you it's just <laughs> i think that's the price we pay as achievers you know especially if you're looking to really create something in life i think that you need a strong mind you know you need a strong mind and you need that all or nothing approach you need that kind of go for it and that is a very useful thing but it comes with a price and unless you are able to also include in your daily routine, you know, stuff like gratitude practice, stuff like slowing down, stuff like being vulnerable, being able to show your emotions, all that stuff helps to balance out that natural, like, yeah, I'm going to go get it and kill it. You know, because if you just have that side of the equation, uh, you're going to burn your bridges with people around you. You're going to burn your health. You're going to burn everything. You know, it's too one-sided. So Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. That's I, think, I think you're spotting as well with, so when you do the visualizations when you have food and you think about all the people that are starving, I think you're spot on with that in terms of having perspective. And also, I think when you have the bad in life, it makes you value the good. Absolutely. So when, yeah. So when you visualize it, it's, it just really changes how you kind of perceive um, the world around you and then how you act with the world around you. Um, you need to have that, that threshold of understanding of different things in life and different pains in life specifically to then be able to appreciate the good in life. To actually be grateful, you need to have the not so good stuff. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I went to a doctor's, I mean, this is a little while ago. I wrote about it, but I came up with a brilliant idea to kind of help you incorporate gratitude because what you just said about visualizing the negative, right? So, I went to the doctors. It was like a, a different kind of doctor. It was like a tooth thing. And anyway, it was, I, I was a new patient. So as a new patient, you have to fill out this form of what conditions do you have? What's your medical history? All that stuff that you have to do usually, right? 
And as I'm filling it out, I'm like, wow, I don't have any of this stuff. Like I'm so lucky that I don't have AIDS, Crohn's disease, whatever, like all these crazy situations. Right. And so it made me realize like sometimes when it's hard to make a list of what you have, make a list of what you're lucky you don't have. Right. Like I'm so grateful that I get, I'm not starving, that I'm not homeless, that I don't have to work nine to five. (laughs) You know, like there's so many things that are negative that if you can channel that and hack your mind, you can hack gratitude in that way. So that was an interesting thing that I recently learned a couple months ago as Agreed. far as gratitude. So, and you're so lucky to have that beard as well. <laughs> yeah. You not have it, so it's a good start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got a friend who I've known for, gosh, must be like 30 years now. And he, he's got a little mustache, but that's about it. He's still got a little baby face going on. We always tease him about it, but. That's true. I mean, yeah. I guess it comes with a cost too. Cause I honestly, I hate shaving. I wish I could just, I could just, you know, one day maybe we'll have it on a, on our phone, like an app, you know, and you just say, ah, today I feel like looking scruffy and just hit a button and somehow <laughs> the nano robots in your skin grow the required beard amount. I mean, I don't know. It could, anything could be possible. <laughs> I'm in similar slayer. You look like a lumberjack. Yeah. I just need the shirt now. <laughs> well, so with your, with your company, let's, Let's dive into that. You know, you, you talk about bootstrapping a lot. So how did you, you bootstrapped your company, right? The current Pearl Lemon Leads. Yeah. yeah. What did you do to do that? What were some effective strategies? Because bootstrapping is, you do, we have so many opportunities to do that these days Mm. Uh, with all the resources that are available, especially with, you know, internet and having remote teams and stuff like there's so much opportunity to do that. So Mm. how did you particularly start this agency with 15 people how what were your strategies that you bootstrapped absolutely so the first one is to make it you have to go into the mindset of mvp so make it very lean right so when we started it was just me and my business partner deepak and i was doing operations and he was doing sales and um stuff like that and so when we started i was just working from my mom's house or from my local coffee shop literally all day long and then when it came to actually, I guess, the, the growth piece, I mean, I think bootstrapping, you're right, it's very, it's a lot easier these days because of technology and different software tools, different yeah. um, different digital components, even just advertising and building relationships is just so much easier now. Like, if you compare the ratio of how many face-to-face meetings with how many phone calls you have compared to back then, it's a massive difference. You're probably saving like 30% of your day in traveling just because we're in 2019. Oh, yeah. Uh, so there's all these different pieces to consider. And um, yeah, dude, it, just, it was just me in the local coffee shop, just downing two Costa coffees a day, not eating, saving money as much as possible. And just working. I remember this actually, the first eight days of the business, I worked for 21 hours and slept for free for the first eight days. And I only wow. stopped that because I had uh, one, it was day eight and I was towards the end of the day and Deepak called me and was like, yo dude, you sound deaf is like i'm blocking your email you're not working tomorrow you're just sleeping like you need to rest um but it was a, it was a really good start because deepak uh had a lot of knowledge about how to just find new business out there already so we was like upwork it was linkedin it was email um and it was how to i guess utilize all that stuff really smart upwork's so, amazing i found so many really, people it's just crazy how again like literally you can find people anywhere in the world to do something for you these days. Although you have to be, one thing I'll 
kind of position is that in my own experience, one thing I've learned a lot is when you post for something or when you're looking at any, whatever commitment, whether it's a short job or something long-term, I always start with why. I don't know if you're familiar with Simon Sinek, but he wrote this book called Start With Why, super like foundational book for business, which I highly recommend. But basically, one thing that I noticed was before I read the book, you know, I was like going straight into these postings for what I needed, like who, what, where, when, how, like, here's what I need, you know, all the details, like it was straight analytical stuff right away. And after I read that book, I realized like when you are, it doesn't even matter if it's a small job and I have a, I have a perfect like experience for this recently that happened where I didn't do a good job of this. So even if it's a small job, if you start with why, meaning who am I? What are the values that I have? You know, here's what I believe. Here's the exciting thing that I'm looking forward to creating with this, like all those emotional things. Mm. You're going to attract people who don't necessarily resonate with your values. And then even if on paper, like you said earlier, like it doesn't matter if you can create results. If you're toxic for the team, then you're not worth the trouble, you know? So when you start with why, you will filter out, I've noticed, you'll filter out people who don't align with your mission, your vision, your values, that kind of thing. And it's so funny because I've had experiences on both sides when I've posted for, I don't know about you, how you can relate, but when, based on how you approach that post, like if you post, let's say, and you, you start with your company's vision and mission and you get like, hey, here's what I'm looking for in a person. And then, okay, if you resonate with that, here's all the details, whatever, of the job and what I need done. Uh, so I don't know how your experience has been, but for me, like if I don't do that, like I've had like literally the smallest job has turned into the most ridiculous thing, time wasted. Like I can't even tell you, like the smallest coding job turned into the most ridiculous time waste because I skipped, you know, I, I skipped some routes. I wanted to just get it over with, make a short post. And it was, that was a stupid part on my part because I underestimated the impact of not communicating my vision from mm. the very beginning. Do you know what I'm saying? So I don't know how your experience has been, especially you said you had like a lot of people that you had to filter out in the process of creating this agency. So how has your experience been when you post, when you look for somebody to fill a job, what has been some effective strategies about how you want to communicate that? Because that, and that's the most important part. I mean, there's some companies that literally will, that are so focused on their vision and culture that, that at the very beginning they say, listen, I'm going to pay you $3,000 to leave right now. And if the person accepts the 3,000, then, Hey, you're not a good fit. Like you're in it for the short term or no, I don't want that three grand. I love this company. I'm going to stay with you guys. So like there's some companies that are that, that first initial contact is so important. So how do you, let's say Upwork, how do you, what's been your experience? Like how, what's been some effective strategies for onboarding people or let's say communicating that first, uh, yeah you know post um it's 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 uh, one word systemization hmm. so how could we systemize our hiring process where the funnel obviously had the inflow so whether it was seo and online or upwork let's use upwork specifically it was always systemization which is this we don't even talk about the vision or anything else i think the biggest thing for hiring for us was don't hire for skills hire for attitude Mm. and 
there's a very easy way to tell someone's got the right attitude. We, for every Upwork post that we ever do, we also have a, a link, which, so you know Upwork, some people say write comment in this section if you actually read this rather than spam it. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do is an actual uh, job posting. I put, fill this form in first to be an applicable like sort of person to work here, and then we'll speak on Upwork. And that form literally says, are you, what are your available hours? We're going to give you very direct feedback. Are you okay with that? We uh, expect responses within work hours within 30 minutes if it's like your scheduled work hours. Are you okay with that? We ask all these different questions to filter out their attitude. Mm-hmm. And we have this tool called um, Paper Form. So I think it's like 30 bucks a month, something like that. Um, and what happens is I get then a list of our applicants on Paper Form, not Upwork. So I can look at their review experience as well. But if I look at, let's say, 10 applicants and one applicant put like two word answers here everywhere, then another dude put like full sentences and paragraphs. Like Rayhan, for example, that's how we found Rayhan. Like 50 people applied, but this dude literally wrote paragraphs for every single one. He invested himself in the application. Exactly. And that sense of attitude that, wow, this guy doesn't even have the job yet and he's already going balls deep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like, wow, he's definitely got the right attitude to work with us. So even if he doesn't have all the skills, it doesn't matter. He'll learn it. He'll learn it quicker than anybody who then goes in with the skills but does the work in half the speed. So it's the biggest thing with systemization. So get a form set up for every job post that you ever put out and ask these exact questions. Like, what times are you available at? What is your, we ask them to upload a picture of their computer spec. We ask them to upload a screenshot of their internet speed. All these different criteria. So it saves me from scrolling for fucking 100 applicants to just instantly deleting every, in fact, here's one thing, the biggest question that always we delete if they don't do this. We say, upload just a video of you introducing yourself. Mm. It's what, four or five minute task. Yeah. 80 people don't do it. Delete, mm. delete, delete, delete. That takes us to only 20% of applicants who've got the fucking, the bollocks, the attitude, the right. Yeah, mindset. it allows you to automate it in some sense. Exactly. Or at least so, make it more efficient. Exactly. And then you, you instantly went from 100 applicants to just 20. Mm-hmm. And then from those 20, you look at the other top five important criteria, you delete the other rest, and you've got like five applicants left that you know that have got the right attitude, the right skills, the right reviews, the right mindset, and they're going to fit the culture and they're going to do your job well. And you went from spending hours to 10 minutes, right? Hmm. And that, that's how you do it at scale, we found. Especially with everyone within the team, every single person, they all went through this process. Um, and that's why it was super important. And then I guess for, for finding jobs in work, we applied the same thing. So what we've done is for finding jobs, we have every single answer that they can possibly ask us. And we have an answer, uh, every question, sorry. And we have an answer. Like an FAQ, frequently asked question type of deal. Exactly. And then I have this program. So it's on on Mac, it's called A-Text. On Windows, I have a phrase express. What it basically lets you do is you do a shortcut and it'll paste the whole paragraph for you, right? Um, So for example, for me, if I do hashtag W, it pastes my website if I type in CAS, K-A-S, at, it pastes the rest of my email. It's a massive productivity hack. Interesting. So it's kind of like the Google Gmail, like when you're typing an email, how it auto-fills and predicts what you're going to say. Exactly. But this is like you set up commands for it, so where it basically makes like a hotkey, automatic hotkey, I'm guessing. Like as you're typing, exactly. boom, it fills it in. 
I probably shouldn't say this, but I've got my card number as, as one of these because it's like, <laughs> if you type, dude, typing your card number is so long every time. Oh, yeah, like, for sure. Well, Google, fill, sometimes Google fills that in for you, but I guess it depends too because if you're not in Google Chrome, then you still need it to be automated to some degree, exactly. right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And yeah, dude, so it's like when I'm doing applications, I'll wake up in the morning, I have a folder of bookmarks of all of the um, different, so with searching for jobs, I, there's different ways of doing it based on keywords. Mm-hmm. So I, for example, for me, it's like lead gen, right? Well, it's like, okay, so email marketing, LinkedIn marketing, LinkedIn lead generation, all the different keywords. I have it in a folder. I then every morning, right click the folder, open all. I now have 10 tabs of all the different places that will find work with the pre set up filters. So like only, you know, uh, over the last 24 hours, only, you know, if they have like, if they're verified payer. And then I then scroll through the jobs, right click and open every single job that's the right fit close all the tabs and then we're left with let's say 30 job postings and then it's just just five ten minutes of just putting the hotkeys in and i've applied to 30 jobs at scale with very personal answers to their project because every every project is answered in a very specific way and uh, that's why it's really useful dude Wow. So that's how I guess we, we systemize that work, outreach and inreach. What do you do with LinkedIn? I mean, I don't even use LinkedIn that much. I'll be honest with you. Like I, I guess the premium is nice to invest in. I've, I've seen some trainings on it, but I have not really outside of like posting my podcast episode stuff on there. I don't really use it that much, but a lot of people use it for, you know, generating business, especially it's a lot more professional than Facebook and, you know, Instagram, obviously. So how do you use LinkedIn? So LinkedIn has been massive for us in the B2B space. Yeah. Um, it's actually one of our core offerings where we, so the reason we've grown so fast is because we found a way against systemization to effectively manage hundreds of LinkedIn campaigns where we reach out to people and build relationships um, at scale. Mm. So what that basically means is that, I guess part of our service is, um, what we do is we'll build a very targeted list in Sales Navigator, but then we use Boolean search. So let's assume that, you know, you want to reach out to every burger place in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. You have the typical things of, you know, business size, um, on industry, keywords, stuff like that. But then you can get very specific and exclude people. And this may be very useful to you now, actually, to use Sales Navigator. It's massively helpful, dude, to build the right relationships with the right prospects. And then we just, once we have these lists, we want outreach at scale. So we'll reach out to per account, 30 people. Um, and if we, let's say we have four accounts running for a client and it's 120 new conversations that can begin every day. And so if you scale that, that's let's assume 500, obviously it's not the right number, but 500 a week, that's 2000 new conversations a month. And then assuming only 50% respond, even less, that leads you, let's say, ten percent bookings. That's still. Do you have good. a? Do you do it automated with a program to do the initial outreach? So, in or do you of, have like somebody doing that? Yeah, yeah. So, to in the initial outreach, like send them the connection request that is automated. Yeah. It's not automated in the sense that everything is automated. It's the only thing that's automated is actually just sending the connection request and the follow-ups and stuff. Once they respond and everything before, after, engaging with the content, everything is manual. It's just the sending messages. Um, The first initial kind of connection request, that's automated. And 
um, once that piece is done, then it becomes a, once they respond, it's a very kind of conversational relationship building uh, approach, right? Because there's, there's a few unique things that we do compared to other agencies, which is allow us to grow this book. And it's, one is use humor. Um, if, for example, one of our clients is uh, an IT company, we might make a joke about our IT experts being like spies from the CIA or some shit. Do you know what I mean? But you have to make somebody laugh. When you make somebody laugh, even if they're not interested, they'll still respond and you'll be top of mind for the next three You'll get their years. attention for sure. Yeah. 100%, dude. 100%. Like, the amount, the amount of bookings that we've had that um, people literally said, I'll be honest, I get hundreds of these a day. I only responded because you made me laugh. It's insane. Hmm. So it's, 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 you ha- and especially in this day and age where cold outreach is just getting more saturated. Absolutely. I was just going to say, there's so much noise that you have to do something to distinguish yourself from. I get so many of those too. Like, honestly, on my LinkedIn, I get, I don't even respond to them. Like, they're like, oh, hello, would you consider this? Like, I'm going to do this yeah. for your business. I'm like, dude, I don't even care. Like, you need to take the time to read what I'm doing. Like, there have been yeah. times when they have just sent me a description and it's like, A, I can tell it's automated. B, you didn't even take the time to entertain me. Let's say, put it that way, baseline, yeah. like get my attention. Or like read what I'm actually doing. It's just so, I don't know. It's like, do you, I, I don't understand because like on my side, I'm like, okay, do you actually think that I'm going to respond? And if I am, what does that tell you about me as a client? Like if I'm the type of person that's going to respond to something where you didn't even take, it's in, totally inauthentic. Do you want that kind of client? Like it's such a weird, like to me, it's like, I don't understand all that effort for what, like if, if you're going to get a client, make sure it's an authentic relationship. And, exactly. and you start that by you being authentic. You have to be authentic and, and kind of put it out there in an authentic way. It shows that you're listening, that you care, that you entertain them, make them laugh. Like some sort of investment mm. that will make you come across different because then you're going, like the seeker, right? You're going to attract, if you're authentic, you're going to attract authenticity. Uh, exactly. So it's just funny to me how, how much of that stuff is out there. Agreed. Agreed. And yeah, they're just spot on. You have to be authentic. Um, there's different ways of doing it but I mean again I guess I, I, you can look at it in a systemized way and think okay so of course you have to be very authentic and build that relationship but then how do you keep building a relationship at scale and it's yeah. so some of the things that we do for example we have an email funnel set up just email campaign of like 10 steps which lasts about a year and as soon as somebody books into our calendar and they've got an intent to buy they're instantly put into an email funnel um, where a month later they'll just be emailed like, oh, hey, so, you know, we're looking at uh, top five tips to boost Instagram and here's a nice post we found. Check it out. It might be helpful. We then, over time, consistently keep giving value. No matter, even if they didn't buy, it doesn't matter. We're here to yeah. just put out, as you said, positive energy, positive vibrations. Um, so you're always leaving a positive kind of brand and personal brand image on everyone that you speak to, regardless of how it goes. Even if they're an asshole to you, doesn't matter. It just goes back to just being positive, right? And it well, also- the other thing too, these days, I mean, uh, like you see, 
now it's i've felt this for a while but like now the latest thing is don't have a funnel have a flywheel in the sense of like an orbit around you but i mean i've thought of it that way for a while in the sense that like if somebody's gonna like you just said they may not buy from you right away but if you're putting out that positivity and you're putting out that content value you're giving something that they can take action on you know there's going to be the emotional buyers who don't need a lot of convincing obviously and then there's going to be the people who still could be buyers, but they, you know, they're going to be the slow to warm up type of people. And as long as they're in your orbit, they may be in your email funnel, they may be in your Instagram, you know, following, and they're just kind of consuming your stuff and say, Oh, this is really cool. Wow. This guy's really positive, a lot of value, like cool. And then, Oh, maybe I should check out what he's got over here. You know? So eventually, uh, as long as you're putting that out there, you will kind of attract people in your orbit. And it just takes time rather than being so focused on, okay, sales, 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 outcome, and then that's it. You forget about the client after they make the sale. It's like you're trying to build a relationship, right? And that continual value is key. Agreed, agreed. And even for the people that you kind of know, if they do become a client, um, one thing that's really helpful is, for example, again, you can look at how can you kind of systemize that approach. So similar to, I guess, the funnel if somebody doesn't, become a client or not you can have another separate value-led funnel um for for clients where week one you'll go into their website you do an audit of their cro on their website of their how it's positioned is it going to help them get more sales week two you might look at their instagram page week three you might look at their sales automation setup right it's just about constantly always giving value out and always building that relationship it's how can you go that one step further from everybody else, not only to stand out and win more business, but also to just build the right network, the right friendships, the right almost ecosystem of value between you and your clients and then those clients between them. Because I guess the overall bigger picture of everything around this is to build an ecosystem, right? If, yeah. if for example, you know, let's assume... Um, for argument's sake, I'm friends with a guy who has his own accounting software. I'm friends with a guy who's a graphic designer. I'm friends with a guy who's an app developer. If the guy who needs accounting software wants to, wants to turn into an app, I can make that connection. Not only make them have a win-win, but then the graphic designer can jump in and help those guys as well. Mm-hmm. So not only are you helping each other, and you might even potentially be saving money, right? Because at the end of the day, it's like an ecosystem. But two, then you're helping each other grow massively. Because the guy who does the account software might offer free accounting to that guy who makes an app. And it becomes this beautiful, beautiful like Synergy, circle. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Hmm. And that's really the bigger picture of, of, of what we're trying to, I guess, do with the relationship pieces. It's, it's about building that long game uh, approach altogether. What's the, what's the most exciting, like, I guess you worked with Gartner, right? Like that's pretty much your, what, what's, What's the biggest, most exciting client you've had like in the last nine months? Like, I don't know if you're able to share that, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the most. Ex- like, what are you excited for right now? Like, what's, what's been the biggest. Uh... Biggest win. Mm-hmm. To be honest, my favorite client is actually one of the smallest clients. Hmm. It's uh, this amazing lady from this company called Sales Consultancy. Her name's Lee. Um, she's really, really, really good at what she does. Mm. And it's just the banter relationship that we have is insane. It's almost like we're friends, right? It's, mm. it's, it's really cool because 
one moment we'll be talking about the results and hey this meeting was really good this one um, maybe we need to change the targeting slightly for this particular piece and it's really good because she gives really good feedback very often mm-hmm. but also we'll then run away from that and talk about oh so how is your 6am wake-ups how is you know this new tea that you're trying mm-hmm. um, and it just goes back down to relationships because they, these are like legendary clients like you don't have to because of the setup you don't actually have to stress about them because one, they're understanding, but two, because there's no stress, you just deliver better results. They're lifers, yeah. They're they're with you for the long haul. And that's the key. Exactly. And it's it's funny because it's for her that we've got the best meetings. Like we've booked Oracle, we booked Bentley, we booked VMware, which is like twenty eight thousand people company. Wow. Because it's such a strong relationship. Hmm. Um, and that's why it's really, really important. I think it's better to have fewer clients that are authentic and that you have lifelong or long-term relationships than to be worried about turnover, turnover constantly, like a lot of clients, but then you're totally stressed out. It's like, it's not worth it. It's all about the long haul. And and the more stress that you can free up, the more you can create and scale and, and move, move forward. Right. Exactly. Dude. Exactly. I mean, especially if you reach a point where, the best feeling I reckon in agency life is the feeling of you being able to turn away clients and still be mm. fine because then you don't have to. The freedom to say no, that is, yeah, that, that exactly. is a valuable freedom <laughs> in business and in life, man. It's been a huge lesson in my own life just to be able to say, okay, like I want the ability to say no. Like that's, you know, like we say, we say yes to so many things. And I think that's such a, terrible pigeonhole to find yourself in because if you if you're forced to say yes to something then you're really like committing to something that you don't want to be in which is causing you stress every day it's taking away your creativity it's not aligning with your vision so it's pulling you away from what you need to create like it's just being able to say no is so valuable in business agreed you know? it's it, it helps you define your integrity as well because mm when you get to that point where you can say no, you can then not only give yourself a more kind of stress-free life, right? Which ends up bouncing back to your friends because if you're more stress-free, you're going to be a more like bubbly person. So then yeah. you put more positivity back out to, to your friends, your family, whoever it may be, right? Even your partner. Um, and it all kind of all really boils down to integrity as well because you have to at some point make a decision of, is this money more worth it or is being treated like shit more worth it? Mm-hmm. Um, what does integrity mean? mean to you? What's your definition of integrity? To say that you're going to do something and then do it being a man of your word. Mm. That's me personally. What about you? What's your definition? I, I would say, yeah, I would say pretty much the same thing. You know, is your, are your actions in alignment with what you're, what you're saying? You know, because really, I mean, I, I got that from, a particular personal development seminar that I went to. It's called Landmark. It's the Landmark Forum. They're all over the world, but they're very much based on language and, you know, like making sure you're aligning with what you say you're doing, you know, so their whole thing is integrity. And that's where I got my perspective on that is based like, okay, are you in alignment with what you're saying? And they're like super, you know, you got to be in your integrity with everything. So they, they really take it to the next level, but they get results with that, you know, and ultimately like if you, if you, if you are clear about what you're saying, number one, and then you do what you are saying you're doing, then you're able to create. And with your words, a lot of times 
the, the guy, I'll never forget this. We had one of our leaders in the, in one of the seminars that I took, he's like, you know, everybody says the talk is cheap, but talk isn't cheap. The problem is that we cheapen our talk. Like most people don't follow through on what they say. And especially in business, you can relate like literally 90% of the time people don't say, you know, they don't follow through. Like I deal with so many situations where people don't follow through on what they will say they will do. And, uh, that, that really sucks, you know, but that's something that you have to deal with in the business world. And all you can do is control what, how you present your integrity. You can't control other people's integrity. So yeah, just learning to be consistent with what you say that you're going to do and doing it thoroughly. You know, for me, I mean, with my background in professional competition with athletics and dancing, mm. it's actually really funny because I relate to it from a perspective of movement, you know? So in movement, we say like, finish the movement, commit to the movement, do it full out, like risk is my, and there's always another level. I mean, you can push your body, you know, to the max. So it's been a, a real interesting thing to me to learn from kind of the personal growth stuff about integrity, but then to apply it from my own background in movement of 15 years of like, okay, that really, to me, it's like, finish that movement. When you commit to something like, is it really done? Like, are you doing it to the level of excellence that it should be done? And what's the next level? What's the next thing that you could do? Like, could you do it a little more? And I'm very thorough. So one thing actually that let's bounce off of this, because this goes back to the whole company culture thing, you know, with integrity as a leader, that's really important right? Like being, being in your integrity, like following through, especially as the top dog, like you got, you got to have the most integrity in your company because otherwise everything falls apart. But how do you maintain that integrity in others? How do you inspire them to, to be in their integrity? You know, like when something, when there's a break in integrity and not in a moral sense, but Hey, somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do or the product that was presented was not at the level of excellence and standards and values for our mission, our company. Mm. How do you deal with that? How do you inspire somebody to, to look? Because most people, even if you're very clear about communicating your vision and you, you onboard somebody, you as the leader, usually, I hope so, are going to have way more integrity and commitment to the vision than the people you're bringing on at first. So mm. how do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you get somebody when they're coming on board throughout the process to get them to that level where they're operating on a level of integrity, where they're like self-managing, where you don't have to worry about, are they going to be excellent? Are they going to be thorough? Are they going to follow through on what they say they're going to do? Like, how do you manage that in a company, especially a remote company? Hmm. I think the, one of the best ways to do it, well, I don't know what the best ways to do it. Yeah. Um, be transparent like there's probably a million different ways of doing that right one thing that is always been a big thing on our culture is to be direct mm. so for example if somebody says they're going to do something and well before even that point you normally you have a good sense of integrity via the when you're hiring right so when you're going for the original onboarding the right attitude normally is paired with the right integrity right yeah. if they're going to do it like if Bowden says he's going to do something, he's up to 4 a.m. If Rayhan says he's going to do something, he's up to 5 a.m. And then you'll sleep the rest of the day, then it's fine. But if you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. It first starts with you, where you have to work as a role model, right? If your integrity breaks, everything else crumbles. Yeah. And once you have that piece, the next piece is that you have to really just 
you have to, if somebody says, you have my word, I'm going to do it, and they don't do it, you can't let that just slide. You have mm. to say to them very directly, you didn't follow up with what you were going to say. You have to like ask them, so why, why did it happen? And based on the person, they'll say two things. They're either going to say, oh, well, you know, I was just doing They'll have an excuse of some kind. <laughs> Bullshit, basically, excuses. Yeah. Or they're going to say, it's on me. I'm sorry. I'm going to do better next time. And I'm going to get this done for you today because mm. you, I gave my word. And then that goes back to just hire faster, fire faster. I think mm. it's hard to draw integrity into people without crossing borders of being unethical in mm. the sense that you can be very manipulative what you say to get integrity, but that's not ethical. It's wrong. It's very wrong. Yeah. You can just be like, hey, you know, I thought, I, ex- I, I thought that you're a lot better than this, but you're just shit. And that makes people disappointed and that's just wrong. What, it's, it's hard to drill it in. So normally the best, uh, I guess, telling point is their personality. Um, and I guess you almost have to hire for it. Like there's so much things that you wish you could change in people, but you can't. You can never change people because if mm. you change people, over time, two things are going to happen. Either they're going to grow to hate you and resent you because you change them and then go back to their ways. Or when they're pissed off and angry, they're going to slip up and they're going to go back into their old ways. Mm. You can never really change anyone. They can only change themselves. Mm. And so if you put them in a position where you support them and put them in a position where they can succeed, then they will do these things by themselves. Mm. But if you try and just use fear, for example, it's never, it's just a negative, negative, negative culture. You can never do that. It's so bad. Um, and it just creates this vicious cycle, this vicious loop of, well, you're going to be disappointed in me if I do this wrong, so I don't care anymore. I give up. Mm-hmm. Right? And if someone has that mindset, it's just, it won't work. So it starts with you, but realistically, you can only ever support people. You can't change them. They have to do it by themselves, or they have to naturally just have the integrity because of how they were raised. Like their upbringing is like probably 80% of, how they're going to function. Um, and it's a big teller. I mean, yeah, dude, you can, you can look at, well, this is, this is one thing that I will say. I've never succeeded what well, I actually very recently once, but apart from once out of, let's say 130 people, I've never once successfully hired in the UK ever. Nobody's lasted more than two weeks. And wow. it's okay. Why? Well, it's because they grew up in probably a very privileged background. I mean, the UK economy is very good. They probably were never taught the value of money, the value of hard work. Um, living in the UK, I know that it's just, it's really not that great out here, but then it's like everywhere really, right? Um, whereas if you compare it to somebody from Lithuania, from Romania, or anywhere else in the world where it's not as, people aren't as well off, their childhood and upbringing is so different that they have so much of a better attitude that a remote agency is the best thing that can, I guess, work for them because not- Yeah, they see it as an opportunity. Exactly. But then also you get a win as well because they have the right attitude. Hmm. So not only are you giving them twice as more as whatever they'd get where they live financially, then twice as more opportunity of growth. Then you've got benefits of like, hey, for example, one thing that we do is we have- um, so our group is expanding very rapidly and we, we do loads of random things on the side as tests. Like we have power lemon reviews. 
which is just the review YouTube channel that is going super quickly that we're leveraging for brand partnerships. So we will reach out to brands and be like, hey, you know, we'll do a review, we will rank on SEO and it'll be like product reviews and stuff. Exactly. Oh, cool. And in return, we do like a exchange of like making content together, um, maybe being in a customer case study. Um, for example, we, we made a really good partnership with Neverbounce, which is an email validation tool, right? It checks if an email is valid. Very simple. Mm-hmm. But they have well over 100,000 users and they have hundreds of thousands of unique visitors every month. Wow. Now, we did a guest post for them and we're going to be doing content with them and we've done a review video for them and then also we're trying to get on their page as a case study. Now, if you've got hundreds of thousands of people who need, or who are in the space of lead gen, whether it's sales teams or whatever, and they see you, that's the first part of your seed planted brand-wise, mm. all for a mutually beneficial partnership. Um, so then we've got that, and then we have Parliament and Courses, where me or Deepak will literally make courses about different tools, different communication methods. Anything that we learn through our courses that we do, Udemy, we filter back into our own courses, which the whole team has free access to. Cool. We literally have like 50 plus courses at this point. Um, and so that, that can be something we monetize one day, but right now it's just something to give one value to people and two to help the team because then not only are they getting benefits from this and learning skills, but then they're also kind of getting long-term value as well. Cause like I said, they're learning skills and getting qualifications in a sense. Yeah. They feel like you're investing in them. So they're, also going to mirror that and invest back and exactly. be really appreciative. Hopefully. And a lot of the skills, <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully. Um, <laughs> and yeah, dude, and those skills come back to then help you. Yeah. Because if it's a if it's a project manager and they want to learn more project, man, project manager skills, sorry, and they go and then, you know, do the courses, they come back, they're going to be a lot better at their job as well. Which kind of goes back to one of the first things you said about Richard Branson, train the team to be so good that they can leave, but make it so nice that they don't. Exactly. And all of that kind of follows back into the ecosystem, the culture, the benefits, the approaches, the systemization, all of it funnels back in together to just really value. That's it. What, uh, what kind of teas do you drink? I see you're a big fan of like tea, neurotropic tree <laughs> tea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what's your, what's your uh, favorite, I don't know, I guess, life hack to kind of stay focused and stay on top of it, especially, you know, working in agency, you have have some long days, I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to do some recommendations now I've got in front of me. So first of all, funny enough, I've got a Panex ginseng, which is like a weird black bottle. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, that's some authentic looking stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's (laughs) Um, I'm not an affiliate, don't worry, but the brand is, I-L space H-W-A, Ilha. And uh, it's, uh, I get it imported on Amazon for like 70 bucks for like a big bottle. Which yeah. Last year, a few months. Um, and it functions as almost like a small coffee, right? But it's yeah. natural. Um, it's really, really good for your body as well in terms of your heart, your immune system, all that good stuff. It also helps with uh, physical sports a lot. Mm. So it helps with endurance. And similar to caffeine, it, makes you feel like you have more power than you do so you get less tired it's a lot harder to get tired basically yeah better um and then also has like well i'll add as well as an ad bonus if you're a guy it helps you i'll leave it at that <laughs> um you can uh, do your own research um 
but it's it's very good for blood flow in different ways. I'm not gonna get in into different it. areas of yeah. the body. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just honestly really good for sports and brain, just yeah. kind of awakefulness. Um, then with that, I I originally started with matcha tea, which is from Japan. Yeah, it's been used by uh, monks for thousands of years to help with meditation to stay in Zen. And the really good thing about it, it's like a normal tea with caffeine. But it's got this amino acid in it called L-theanine. L-theanine, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You probably know about it. It's like the the cousin of coffee, right? It, it yeah. negates any negative side effects. It makes sure that there's pretty much no kind of crash. So it's a very gentle increase throughout the day, rather than being one big hit and then you're you're sunk, you're sinking like a ship, like the Titanic again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, along with ginseng, is very good for just like just the gentle mental kind of you're always fiery you're awake yeah a um, steady burn not like exactly. crazy exactly and then i've got i'll add like two more things before I, because if you if i get started i'll never stop shooting <laughs> believe me um i know i have my own library full of supplements but um and then i've got ct choline or cdp choline which okay. is basically just it's found in salmon eggs that sort of stuff naturally yeah um it converts to acetylcholine in your brain, which is, if I'm going to dumb it down because I'm going to otherwise talk for an hour, it's basically the hormone for like learning, right? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's used as a fuel. Like your body, if it doesn't need it, it will just spit it out again. Um, but it's really good for focus and uh, learning and memory as well because many people just don't have enough of acetylcholine in their body, whether it's not enough you know, fish or eggs or whatever it may be. Maybe it might even be a diet thing, right? Mm. Um, so that's really good. And then the last thing that is really useful for me personally is uh, Bacopa monieri. Mm. So it, it's from India originally. It was, it's an, I, I'm going to push this word, Ayurvedic or something Ayurvedic, like that. Ayurvedic, yeah. Yeah, yeah, spot on, dude. It's a medicine that's been used for thousands of years for kids that have ADHD. Mm. Um, so it's just a natural, literally, flower. But I've got a branded version called Synapsa. And the reason for that is, is because Synapsa specifically has a patented extraction method, which has directly, because it's a commercial thing, it's got direct uh, studies relating to the plant as well as the extraction method that showed that there's been an increase in focus or a reduction in ADHD. Um, And and yeah, it's really helpful for focus. So like, you have it and it's like, it calms you down, but not in like a, your kind of, uh, what's the best way of putting it? Not like your, you know, like sleepy or lethargic. It's not like Valerian root or something like that. It's yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. It's, it's just that your brain isn't always jumping, 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 jumping. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. As we're trained to do with social media. Like you're scrolling for a new thing. Even Reddit. Do you, do you ever go on Reddit? You know, I don't, my, my buddies go on there. I just never got really into it. So it's like a more of a habit thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I, it's a great resource I heard for a lot of different things to find information that you wouldn't find. I guess it still has that appeal of a forum, I guess. Maybe I'm wrong, but kind of like the old school forums where people just like talk endlessly about things, but you could dig up some really cool stuff. So exactly. exactly. Yeah. It's uh yeah, you're spot on dude. It's, it's like a crowdsourced forum of information. Yeah. Very so, of course, everything you read on there, don't treat it as fact. Absolutely. 
but it goes from you having to read 10 blog posts to learn something to just googling a question that's on reddit wow somebody's already answered it mm. and also even for new topics right like if you go on the new topics subreddit they have um a page that you just click on that they basically just break down how to use new topics and what ones are good and all that stuff but it's really ethical in the sense that it's at the top it just says low-hanging fruit what are the first few things you can do to boost your performance well it's sleep fucking four eight hours or six hours yeah. sleep properly. exercise it's 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 not like oh yeah buy all these different things and use them it's it's very straight to the point and just honest because it's crowdsourced it's people it's not a brand trying to make money so you get i guess an honest view on reddit and it looks like funny nuggets so there's like you know um people asking like i don't know how where do you get the best socks from if you're in new jersey right as a moment for example and then someone i mentioned this really like independent store this there's just so many useful small nuggets of information mm. crowds it's from the crowd it's yeah, it's, uh, it's, God, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it's, it's feedback. It's like basically social feedback, you know, it's community verified or whatever. <laughs> Can't think of the word right now, but like, you know, it's social proof, social exactly. proof. Exactly. That's the word I was looking for. Social proof. And yeah, dude, it, it, it will, yeah, massive, massive. Good awesome. Um, yeah. Well, what are you grateful for right now? What are you most grateful for? Final question. Final question. The I, most important question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I am grateful for all the pain and struggles that I went through. Mm. The different tough points in my life, the different just, the points of fear, sadness, emptiness, just depression, really. I'm grateful for that because... Mm if I didn't go through all those different things, nor if I didn't go through the, the almost the contemplations of suicide, I wouldn't respect the life that I have now. I wouldn't mm. value it as much as I do now. I wouldn't have the same approach. And so if it wasn't for all that bad, I wouldn't be sitting in this chair today on a Friday night at 6 p.m., 22nd November 2019, talking to your amazing self. If it wasn't for that, none of this would be happening. And so it's a daily reminder. It's like, wow, I would not be waking up in this room. I would not have a nice lampshade that I got for very cheap, right? I would not have nothing if it wasn't for all the tough points in my life. I wouldn't have met the amazing partner that we're right now, this uh, beautiful lady from Vietnam, funnily enough. Um, mm. I wouldn't have met my business partner, Deepak. Mm. Amazing, amazing fella. He's an absolute animal, right? Like, I would not have anyone i wouldn't be speaking to you right now dude and so i'm grateful for all of that so that i can be grateful to speak to you awesome i love it man right back at you it just blows me away how uh you know the internet can just connect people it's like you know you live thousands of miles away but here we are sharing a conversation that's very meaningful literally just met what a couple like a week or two ago so it's just it's crazy it's really crazy Absolutely. well this has been a pleasure dude i'm, I'm super stoked Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure, dude. And uh, if you need any recommendations in herbal tea, shoot my way. <laughs> nice.
All right, everybody. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with my inspiring guest and friend, Kaz Anst. You know, my goal with this interview was to help you, to inspire you really, to take action in the new year. This is such an amazing year, amazing energy. This is the time, guys. This is the time to take action. Take action with your business. If you don't have a business and you're curious about starting one, this is the year to do it. Look at what you can automate, what you can scale, what you can expand, who you can bring into your vision. And remember always, of course, to be authentic. That is the most important thing. If you want to get in touch with Kaz, again, his website is kazants.com. That's spelled K-A-S-A-N-T-Z.com or pearllemonleads.com. You can apply for a free lead generation consultation. Just mention this episode and you can book that at Kaz, K-A-S, lead gen, L-E-A-D-G-E-N dot you can book dot me. All this stuff is going to be in the show notes for this episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. So much value, I think, here. A lot of things we talked about. If it contributed to your life, if you know anybody in your life that would if you take value from this episode, share it with them. You never know the life that you can touch, that you can inspire, that you can motivate somebody to take that and to take that next step in their life, whether it's starting a business, whether it's inviting another person, you know, delegating, trusting something. Those are all challenges, especially as entrepreneurs that we're constantly overcoming. So remember, of course, our quote as well from the beginning of the episode by Gary Vee, an inspirational figure as an entrepreneur. If you want to be an anomaly, you have to act like one. You know, in today's world of superficiality, of noise, there's so much going on, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you know what that's like. The key at the end of the day is to be authentic. That's how you become an anomaly. You know, when you're authentic, you're not competing with anybody except yourself. You are your own product, your own service. And when you really know who you are, there is no competition. So that's that's the key. Know yourself, share what you have with the world, take action. This is the year to do it. And always remember to leave a little bit of time for play. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Have an awesome, awesome rest of your day. Tune in on Friday next Friday, when we're going to check out 10 simple health hacks to live a vibrant life. That's what we're going to be taking a look at. You know, health has become such a big part of my life. It's been a big part, but especially lately. And with this new year energy, especially we're going to take action, all these things, your body, your energy, your focus, your mind has to be in tip top shape to take on all those big goals. So we're going to look at 10 really valuable, simple things you can do for your health that maybe some of them you're doing, some of them you aren't doing yet, that will really help energize you and give you focus and long, sustainable energy for the new year. So check that out next Friday. And in the meantime, remember that your life is a dance. So go out there and dance it well. episodes and weekly content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.